This is Diaspora Dialogues podcast series, and I'm Helen Walsh, president of Diaspora Dialogues. We produce many programs and events across the country, and we tape the onstage author interviews and talks in order to share them with you. In this next episode, which we recorded in Ottawa, poet and educator Jackie Lawrence sat down with L.L. McKinney, a first-time novelist from the U.S. whose Afrofuturist YA book, A Blade So Black, has just been published. They had a really wide-ranging conversation about what it means to be an African-Canadian or African-American writer working in an industry that is primarily white, from the assigning editor to the acquiring editor to the copy editor, and what that means for a writer to have to transverse that industry. Jacqueline Lawrence is a diversity strategist by day, a poet by night. Jacqueline's mission is to heal hearts through words. As a published poet and author, she enjoys the journey to dance with curiosity, vulnerability, and paradox, to mine possibilities and sacred wisdom. Her work has been featured in Jubilation, an anthology celebrating Jamaica's 50th anniversary, the international bestseller Pebbles in the Pond Wave 3, Transforming the World One Person at a Time, and most recently, the anthology Resilience and Triumph, Immigrant Women Tell Their Stories, which captured the first-person stories of 54 racialized immigrant and refugee women across Canada. As a follow-up to her chapbook, Surrender, she is currently working on her next book, which will be published next year. In addition to writing, her passions include traveling, being a facilitator with the International Black Summit, and serving as a co-host and producer of Black on Black, a community public affairs program aired every Saturday morning on CHUO 89.1 FM here in Ottawa. Please give Jacqueline a very warm welcome. Okay. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce my special guest today, um, Elle McKinney. She's a poet, an active member of the Kidlet community, an advocate for equality and inclusion in publishing, and the creator of the hashtag, what? Women of Color Writers Heal? Mm -hmm. uh, here. Well, that's wonderful. She spent time in the slush by serving as a reader for agents and participating as a judge in various online writing contests. Well, not only welcome to the session, but also welcome to Ottawa. Welcome to Canada. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's my first time in both, actually. In both. So yes. welcome, welcome. Um, this is a time of first as well. So this is your debut novel, yes. A Blade So Black. And um, the fantasy genre is something that I've always wanted to dive into. So you've given me access to that. So Bye. I'm a debut. I'm, a, I'm no longer <laughs> a virgin to the genre, I guess. So um, let's start by, you, you stated about your grandmother at the beginning. You said, for my granny, who put a pen in my hand and told me I had the power to shape the world. Tell me about Granny and tell me about the prophecy and how you've been stepping into that space. Well, Granny, um, my grandmother, she passed in 2017. And um, so I was really sad that she couldn't be here when it was published. But she got to have champagne like when it was purchased. So mm -hmm. that was fun. Awesome. Um, my grandmother was a huge, huge advocate for reading and education in my household. And according to her, I was reading at age two, 
I both do and don't believe that, but you don't go against what <laughs> Granny said, so it's, it's law. But as far as I can remember, I've loved telling stories, and she was always someone who facilitated. Like, I had pencils and pens and paper. Her and my grandfather uh, got me my first laptop after I graduated high school, and this was right when laptops were becoming a thing that not just, like, companies and businessmen and women and such had. Uh, so it was expensive. Um, and I found out how, you know, they had gone without certain things in order to give that mm -hmm. to me when I went off to college. Um, my grandmother also gave me three typewriters throughout. One was electronic and then two were like old fashioned, like the ribbon would get stuck and then my hands would look ridiculous mm -hmm. trying to fix it. It's um, all your dues. <laughs> it really was, it, it was like, I would go to school and it was like, I had gotten fingerprinted. So kids like, did you get arrested? It's like, well, no, it's just, I was fixing a typewriter tape. Um, and then they were like, what is that? I was like, come sweet summer child, I will show you. So she was a huge advocate for it. She's also um, the person who gave me my first comic book when I was like seven, eight years old. And it, was, um, it wasn't the original because according to her, that wasn't gonna happen because um, she keeps her originals. We still can't find them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're in the house somewhere, we know. Um, but it was The Amazing Tales, which was the first Spider-Man. Mm. And Spider-Man's my favorite hero. Uh -huh. So she facilitated comic books, science fiction and fantasy, reading all of that. And I know she would be absolutely thrilled right now mm. to see everything that's happening. I, I think she's still watching. I think she's still guiding. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, she's still guiding. Because things will happen and I'll be like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still happening. It's so interesting because I work in the school system here and um, a couple of days ago, a couple of colleagues, we had a group of black students together and we were having a conversation. And they were talking about how they hated Shakespeare. And so <laughs> one of my colleagues said, nah, you know, well, listen to it in a different way. Like, you know, Chirac, Spike Lee's movie is based on, is it Lestier or whatever that Shakespeare, I'm not familiar with that one. And then she also broke down that, you know, um, Hamlet was the kind of predecessor for kind of gang culture being explained, those kinds of things. And I remember saying to them, you know, well, you know, how about trying to infuse your own story into the into the, the plays and so forth and see what happens. And then two days later, I got this phone call. <laughs> and then lo and behold, I'm reading a book that has been, um, um, as I'm looking at your, your wonderful hat, <laughs> um, that has Alice in Wonderland as kind of a, a jumping off point, if you will, but it was, it's not the Wonderland that we, we know. No. Not so tell all. me, how did you connect the dots between Alice, between Alice Allison in Atlanta, and Wonderland and the Dream World, and all of that that's in Blade So Black? So the original idea um, came, and I've told this story uh, a couple times, is I was sitting on my mom's couch watching Supernatural reruns, as one does. And they were slaying vampires, and so like Buffy references were made. Mm -hmm. Well, also, um, Disney had announced that they were going to do their live action Alice in Wonderland. Like they were gonna start production of it. Mm -hmm. And um, after thinking nobody asked for this, I, <laughs> I then came around to, well, it's gonna be live action, so are they gonna like redo the original movie or, oh no, 
Alice is grown, so I guess it comes afterwards. Is it going to be like that Alice? Is it going to be the same thing? Like, does this mean Wonderland is a real place? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, if Wonderland is a real place, that means the Jabberwocky and the Bandersnatch are real, you know, jaws that bite and claws that catch and, you know, people are losing heads and such. And there's swords, so I was like, well, she's going to need weapons because this place is dangerous, it sounds like. And so um, I wrote a fight scene, like if she was, if she had to use those right. swords, and I liked it. And turns out I'm pretty good at fight scenes. Mm -hmm. And so I kept going, and so Alice uh, formed, and then as her life began to form, her mother, her friends, um, I put my own twist on the characters, like you know, the Mad Hatter, he owns a bar in Midtown Atlanta called the Looking Glass Pub. Mm -hmm. And he, there was this war in Wonderland that he fought in, so he kind of has PTSD, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's this whole slew of characters that came about as Alice goes on her shenanigans. Like, mm -hmm. when she goes into, and without giving away any spoilers, when she goes into Wonderland, I'm like, well, she's not the only one doing this. Then the Tweedles pop up as mm -hmm. Russian twins, mm -hmm. and they're actually human. <laughs> and that was, I mean, an upgrade in my opinion. Um, and so, like, then the Dormouse shows up, and mm -hmm. Maddie, who's mm -hmm. the sleepy bartender, you know. Right. So it's, it was just as these people who had to play roles in what Alice is doing came up, I would be like, oh, so that's who the Mad Adder is. Mm -hmm. You know, that's who the Dormouse is. And we get to meet uh, the Caterpillar and the White Rabbit mm -hmm. in the next book, so I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. So you, you got curiouser and curiouser as, yes. <laughs> yes. as, as Alice kind of took you on this journey. Tell us a little bit about, this is a very diverse cast yes. of characters. And one of the things I found interesting that you first introduced Hattie and the first thing you said about him is that he's white. Mm -hmm. And then, but yet for the other characters, you kind of gave different parts of their personalities first. Mm -hmm. And then later on you discovered what their race or ethnicity was. Mm -hmm. Was that intentional and if so, why? It was because when Alice first sees Addison, she doesn't know what mm -hmm. Wonderland is. She doesn't know that this is a place where they're human but not, uh, you know. So he just looks like a white boy. Mm -hmm. That's what she says. He's a white boy who's carrying a big sword. That's weird. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> like, that, that's her reaction. And so she, um, when she, as she gets to know them, mm -hmm. she gets to realize, oh, well, the entire world goes into creating mm -hmm. Wonderland. It's the entire like subconscious of every person who's ever been on the planet has infused this world in some way. But at the same time, there are no countries in Wonderland. So there's no India, there's no Korea, there's no Uganda, there's no Mexico, mm -hmm. but there are still people who have characteristics from those areas. Mm -hmm. So that's why as, because as Alice learns that mm -hmm. this is a thing, her perspective sort of shifts, so she stops saying, oh, well, that person looks Korean because mm -hmm. there's no Korea in, right. but in her head they still do, but she's mm -hmm. figuring out how to, you know, right. how to address and not to just assume as well. Mm -hmm. So it, it's this sort of thing that I built into it where it's not like hit you over the head obvious that mm -hmm. she's learning and growing. Mm -hmm. I mean, cause you learn and grow. Even if you don't say it, like when you walk down the street, if I see a black man, I see a white man, I'm, I notice, you know, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with being black or white. That's just what but I But the see. thing I love about what you did, though, you, st you said it. Yes. But then there was an inquiry to the process, and then there was a discovery mm -hmm. of, 
as opposed to say, not saying it and there's a judgment. Yeah. With Wonderland not being people, you have to sort of go based on their characteristics and how they are. Right. You can't assign them to anything because they're not human. So it's sort of mm. this experiment with, well, if we actually were what we try to be and, you know, didn't see color or whatever, that actually drives me, drives me that saying. But if that was true, mm-hmm. how would we talk about it? You know, mm-hmm. how would we come to know each other? Mm-hmm. And I got to play with that a little bit. Oh, you dance with it beautifully, I have to say. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> um, I feel so smart. <laughs> <laughs> you are, because I want to go back to a quote that you, you, that you noted in the book, and that was with respect to Wonderland, um, where it said that it's the unconscious of the... Hold on a second, let me grab it. I can't what happens... Remember. You can't remember? I thought you were smart. There's 85,000 <laughs> words in this there book, okay? <laughs> so here it is, I got it, I found it. That was, that was killing time for a second. So what happens when your homeland is the collective unconscious of the entire world? Yeah, that's... The, Pretty much it. That's pretty much. I mean, I just thought, whoa, that is something to put on some T-shirts to put on. Well, it's because I get questions um, in my email box, um, particularly about you know uh, lineage, because we talk about you know the Red Queen and the White Mm -hmm. Queen and the Black Mm -hmm. Queen. Without Mm -hmm. giving away spoilers, they don't look like they would be family, and yet they are. Well, it's not because blood is what decides what you look like. It's the world. Mm-hmm. So it, the way genealogy, for lack of a better term, works in Wonderland is very different. But the thing that I thought that was so powerful about that quote, it wasn't about consciousness. It was, yeah, about it was unconscious. subconscious decisions. Yeah. So I thought that was really Nothing funny. that you actively do is going to determine who you are. Absolutely. One of the things I also love about this is, you know, one of the things I've often said is that the longest journey that we take is from our head to our heart. And so Allison, her journey begins when her dad dies. Mm-hmm. And that was the introduction of kind of fear for her. Mm-hmm. And so this dance began with her where she starts discovering the madness of fear and the muchness of herself. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about how that came to be and what, uh, what, what unfolded for, for her as well as for yourself as you kind of discovered that whole process? Well, growing up, um, fear is a very, very real thing. Fear dictated what, in, at least in my household and like I assume mm-hmm. other households, what my parents did or didn't let us do based on things we didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't know that because we were girls in before dark was, a, you know, like we didn't know that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. We, did, we just thought it was ridiculous. Why do we have to be home? Such and such doesn't have to be home. Well, he's a boy. What? Mm-hmm. Come to find out it was for safety reasons. It's the reason why, you know, you carry your keys a certain way mm-hmm. or you tell a friend or you get on a phone when you're walking through by yourself at night as a woman. Um, or, like, if my mother says, text me when you get in, like, if you don't text, there's a good chance she's going to call the police. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. just things like that. And so fear had a physical effect on my world uh, from an early age because uh, um, I've, I've lost family to gun violence and police violence as well. And it affected not only my family, but the neighborhood where my family lived. Mm-hmm. And so Alice's fear of what life is going to be now without her father is what draws the, night, the first mm-hmm. nightmare to her. Mm-hmm. And as we go around throughout the book, we find out that the human world and Wonderland affect each other. Mm-hmm. And so fear 
has an actual real world effect in our world. Like, yes, people are horrible and, you know, people can't take no for an answer. And then you have, you know, racism and sexism and homophobia and all that. Um, but then some of what happens in Alice's book is sometimes nightmares will cross over and somebody will snap and kill their whole family, mm -hmm. you know, because it, it has an effect in the real world. And only humans can kill nightmares because mm -hmm. we created them. Right. And so I just wanted to explore how fear can be a physical thing, like a nightmare that will tear you apart if you're not equipped well enough to fight it, and you are only equipped well enough to fight it if you believe in yourself enough. And one of the things I love about this whole muchness thing was the sense of being grounded in oneself mm -hmm. and knowing that you can. And in doing so, it's like shifting that nightmare instead of being able to dream. So yeah. in terms of kind of this, what, what um, Wonderland really represented at some point, yeah. in terms of this land of dreams, so to speak. Well, one of my favorite lines from the book is, um, the knives that she's holding, the figment blades, are the mm. only things that can kill nightmares. And if she doesn't believe in herself, they start to dull. Mm -hmm. Like you can't sharpen them, you can't, like you would with a regular blade, it, they increase in deadliness and in ability once she starts to believe in herself more. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the book, you know, when they first go into Wonderland, she's scared. I mean, she's mm -hmm. here to fight these things that she's been learning about. And to calm her down, Addison tells her that, yes, these things are dangerous. Yes, they can rip your head off, but you are the only thing that can take them down. You are the only thing that can wipe them off of both maps permanently. I can destroy them, but they will rise again. Mm -hmm. You can purge them. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that is worth being afraid of here is you. Mm -hmm. So she is, the, if anybody's going to be scared, the nightmare should be scared of her. Right. Which... Again, like, I, I remember that quote. <laughs> I remember that one. It's a good one to remember. Now, why is it so important for you? Why did you think it was so important for particularly black girls to hear that message? Because you're told what you are incapable of from birth. You're not as smart. You're not as fast. You're not as good. And the whole idea that... One, it's a lie, and two, once you realize it's a lie, that's when you become dangerous. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> dangerous mm -hmm. to everybody else. So learning that you are your own greatest weapon to conquer not other people, but to conquer circumstances, mm -hmm. to conquer self-doubt, uh, to conquer trials and tribulations that rise against you, you are the sharpest weapon in your toolkit. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all you. Right. And in addition to that toolkit are discovering the sense of that you're loved. Yeah. So her dad still loves her even though he's no longer here. Oh, yeah. She hears her. him when she's trying to psych herself up. Her, right. Just the same way I'll hear my grandmother, mm -hmm. like, not like actually hear her, but, but like <laughs> remember, you know, what she would say mm -hmm. in certain situations. He comes back with to her. her mom, you know, in terms oh, yeah. of, I mean, you know, the... As you said, the safety factor in terms of those rules that were in the household, mm -hmm. but yet still knowing that if I go, if I were to get into those circumstances where I was killed, for example, mm -hmm. then my mom would be alone. Yeah. And then how do you weigh that kind of um, responsibility and accountability for someone you love? Do you keep stepping into those dangerous places that's calling you because that's your calling? Mm -hmm. Or how do you then 
still worry about how to navigate that relationship with mom and worry about that. It's, it's a big one. It's why she considers doing, you know, uh, what she wants to do until, you know, for lack of a better term, stuff hits the fan. And mm-hmm. there's nobody else mm-hmm. who can do this. Um, so she actually kind of starts to walk away from mm-hmm. the call or whatever the technical term is in the hero's journey. And then it's like, well, no, I mean, you, you, you got to see this through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a really big thing that was, it wasn't, it wasn't like forced upon us as kids or anything, but it was something that we came to consider, like how what we did would affect the rest of us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was, if you do this and it comes back, what's going to happen to your sister? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to, you know, your mom or your dad? It, it was this whole, like, I'm out here to live my life and to be myself, but at the same time, I have people I got to look out mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. you know? And yet there's also the question that Alice had, too, about I'm fighting these particular wars, but who's fighting for me? Also true. And I thought, I thought a lot about, you know, particularly... Um, black soldiers, whether they're from the Caribbean, African Americans, or Canadian soldiers, who fight in all these world wars, mm-hmm. but then come back to a place where you are now fighting another battle. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that showed up in, in, in A Blade So Black is, you know, that scene where she meets the Black Knight, and she actually meets him for the third time on a spot where that young girl, Briani, was killed. And so it's like, Talk about the fear coming back. Talk about yeah. the, you know, the sense of, well, who's protecting me in this moment? All of those things. It's like those circumstances. And how do you move through that? Well, I, for one, with the uh, war thing, my father was in the Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, my whole paternal side of the family was either Army, Air Force, or Navy, like all of them. So that was also an influence in not only Alice and her family, but in, because there is a family in Wonderland that's going through some things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because um, there's the black queen and the mm-hmm. white queen and they're all related. So mm-hmm. they're going through what they're going through and a whole war came about it. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of not being able to be defended or to be the one that's protecting everybody else but got nobody looking out for you, feeling that way in a family of people that like chose to serve and chose to like, I'm gonna do the service in my country, go protect. That was a thing that I went through mm-hmm. um, as a teenager. Um, it was like all these people out here and nobody's looking out for, for me, you know, mm-hmm. or for my uh, siblings or for my cousins. Um, and it showed like this was a perfect way to like a lot of what even if there's just small instances of what I dealt with or saw other people in my community dealing with found a way into a blade of black. One of the things um, as I'm getting used to I'm getting introduced to the genre is black women are kicking butt in the genre. Yes. I'm like what? Yes. <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about. The, I think there's a really powerful quote here from um, N.K. Jemison, and she's talking about Octavia Butler. And one of the things she distinguishes that um, this particular type of writing, particularly from a black perspective, is it's not about futurism, or it's about it's offering futurism rather than escapism. 
Yeah. How important is that about seeing, and particularly black kids seeing themselves in the future and actually having an opportunity to co-create that future as in such as in a wonderland or in Atlanta? Well, I grew up reading science fiction and fantasy because um, Granny got me into it. Mm -hmm. um, but I never saw black people in the future. Like, we just had a black woman in Star Wars, um, you know, with the Solo movie. And I, but if you haven't seen the Solo movie, it's been four months, five months. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, we we get we got we had a like one week moratorium on 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 Infinity War, so five months is long enough. Um, <laughs> the black woman who actually speaks, first of all, we don't show up, and if we show up, we don't speak, and apparently, if we speak, we get killed. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that that's the thing, you know. And to not see yourself in the future, to know that people are imagining, like the utopia of the future, the escapism, the whatever, you know, this is for other cultures, you, part of this happiness is us not being that? Mm -hmm. Like, is, how, what am I supposed to take away from that? You know, you, here you are imagining swords made of light and traveling faster than light or as fast as light or, you know, 12 parsecs or whatever he got wrong. <laughs> um, and it's like, but in all of this greatness that's going on, we're not included, mm -hmm. ever. So it's, it's weird. Um, and it's disheartening to realize that people imagine the future without you, even if they don't intend it, that's what's mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. And so being able to say no, you will be there to readers who are coming now mm -hmm. um, to fill that well and to you know put this out there where there was a drought of this representation when I was growing up unless you went to mm -hmm. Octavia Butler or the people who were you know doing this and they were like the oasis in the mm -hmm. desert um, it's, it's really important to me for my nieces and nephews that I have coming out who are also little geeks and nerds who love this stuff as well mm -hmm. so being able to imagine that you're going to be there means that you will behave differently, mm -hmm. I feel. And I've seen, if you think you have a future, you will act like it. Right. One, one of the lines, even though it was relating to something very different, but one of the lines in the book speaks about, there are few feelings worse than knowing you've been intentionally ignored, revoked, denied. Yeah. How um, do I capture that? <laughs> it, there are, like, and not just you as a person, but the very idea mm -hmm. of you. To be like, no. You're not part of this. Not because of anything you did and said that actively like excluded you, it, because I don't deem you worthy. Mm -hmm. And even with that, coming into one's muchness. Yeah. And kicking butt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I need to take some karate lessons or something. <laughs> I don't have a hat in Addison in my life, but I don't know. It's like I practice practiced on my sisters. It was like, I don't know. <laughs> Not even professional. Like none of the only one who took karate lessons is the youngest, like the baby. And that should tell you something is because it was to protect her from us. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be like one of those things I need to do this fight, but I'm not entirely sure that an arm will bend this. Come here and <laughs> I'm gonna try something. It's for work, I promise. Like, you know, so 
being able to write a character that is able, like, it's also physically capable of doing these things, but at the same time, that physical cap- capability, I almost said capableness, whoa, mm-hmm. that physical capability wouldn't save her from certain circumstances, mm-hmm. and she recognizes this. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about language for a moment, because you, you created some new words in this book. I did. <laughs> Tell us some of the words you created and, and, and just explain what they mean. Do you remember any of them? Um, My favorite was contra- contrary-wise. I didn't do that. Oh, you didn't do that? No, one? that oh was in the original. Gosh. Oh, my goodness. That was in the original. Oh, man, I thought it was I cute. didn't do that. Um, okay, so I wish do. I could take credit for that, because <laughs> I love that word. Yeah. Um, but I mostly created words for expressions or for physical things or places, mostly because they sounded funny Mm -hmm. or because at the time, my very young nieces and nephews were saying gibberish and I would make a word out of something I thought they said maybe. Like, because they're three and they kind of know how to do sentences and so Mm -hmm. every other word is nonsense, which is perfect for Wonderland, so. Wampus is a word. I don't know if it's a verb or a noun. (laughs) I just know it's there. Um, And it can be curdled. Okay. (laughs) It's capable of being curdled somehow. Take that as you will. I'm like, oh, this is not a thesaurus. (laughs) No. I think she made this up. Okay, good. Uh, The palaces have names that I made up. It's mostly. But the thing about, though, I think the parallel to that, though, is Alice was also making herself. Yeah. As she goes through the process. And this thing about, are you brave enough to take that next step to build, to be yourself, to slay that, well, slay I, that dragon, to slay whatever is coming at you? I sort of did it on purpose that even though she had been fighting for a year, mm-hmm. she hadn't gone that far into Wonderland. Like, mm-hmm. she went as far as she had to do to do her job, right. and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, so as she grows and comes into herself, more Wonderland is like open to her, mm-hmm. um, and that will continue to be a uh, a theme in the next book. Hopefully, books yeah. plural. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it now. You've got yes. me hooked. <laughs> I'm glad. Please read something. For okay, that. I will read something. I will. I did not know I was going to read something, so I will flip and find something in the beginning. Okay, so this is after Alice goes into Wonderland for the first time. And she's sort of getting a feel for being super fast and super strong. And she was running and she fell because she's super fast and she didn't know it. Her arms and legs flailed, throwing her off center of gravity. She managed to get her feet under her before hitting the ground and tumbling to her stop. On on her back again, she stared at the starless sky and the moon overhead. Her muscles sung, jerking here and there. Her nerves were alight. She laughed and whooped again, panting. The frubles rolled back and forth beside her, cooing like doves. She patted a pink one gently, her hand black against its shine, gliding across the smooth surface. Sitting up, she glanced around for signs of Addison when an odd sort of pressure slid along her limbs, like dozens of tapping fingers. Goosebumps prickled her flesh. The frubles gave high-pitched trills before darting away into the grass. Um, okay. Alice, over here. She brushed herself off, glancing around. She was at the edge of the forest, across from the glow. It was much darker. Shadows filled the trees. Tangled branches and vines choked the canopy, keeping the moonlight at bay. 
Alice tensed when she thought she saw something move out of the corner of her eye and scanned the undergrowth. Alice, Addison called again. She lifted a hand out of the grass and waved, not wanting to shout again. Something was out there. Her senses strained to take in everything they could. The forest remained still, quiet enough for her to hear the wind sweeping through with a low and heavy whoosh, whoosh. Not wind, breathing, movement to her left. Oh, shit. She pushed to her feet, scrambling back from the forest just as a roar shattered the quiet like an air horn. Her ears rang, her bones rattled. Alice, Addison was racing toward her when the nightmare burst from the brush, like looking like a hippo with more limbs than a squid. The beast charged. She twisted out of the way, barely avoiding a swipe of claws. She screamed, fear jolting through her as she tried to get her legs to work. Alice, Addison stood a short ways off, gold eyes wide and dancing between her and the nightmare. You can do this. He gripped the hilt of the sword at his back, but hadn't pulled it free yet. It's too big. She backed away from the nightmare as it lumbered around, looking between her and Addison as if trying to decide which of them to eat first. She shook her head, feeling the sting of tears. It's too much, but you are much more. He, steps, he sidestepped, putting distance between them, drawing the monster's tension. It sniffed the air and growled, trying to focus, com turning to focus completely on him. You can beat it. You trained for this. You're faster and stronger than you know. Alice whimpered, shaking her head. She drew back a few more steps, her whole body cold and shaking. The beast charged Addison. Alice's heart practically uppercut her, it jumped so hard. But Addison spun out of the way, unsheathing a sword and slicing across the beast's side in the same fluid movement. The monster roared as yellow blood splattered the tall grass. Addison slid into a ready stance, his weapons lifted, the silvery blade shining against the night. We can go back, Addison called without taking his eyes off of the monster. He dodged again, rolling under a swipe of claws. I can stop it, and we can wait for it to reform. Try again later. No, no, no. Alice lifted her trembling hands to the sides of her face. How could she suck so bad at something she trained so hard to do? But she couldn't. Breathe, baby moon. Dad's voice filled her head. It did that a lot lately. Memories of him laughing with her, talking to her, chastising her. The tears spilled free and she shook her head. I can't, she whispered. Breathe. I can't. Breathe. I'll try. Ain't no try. You know that. What you gonna do? Alice's hands fell to the daggers at her hips. She palmed the pommels before gripping them tight and yanking them free. Azure moonlight filled the crystalline surface of the blades. Across the meadow, Addison fended off another swipe of claws. The shriek of grating metal filled the air. He leapt back and shot a glance Alice's way. Their eyes met. What you gonna do? Her fingers tightened their hold on the daggers. Something swept through her, pushing outward from the center of her chest to the top of her head and the soles of her feet. This, I'ma do this. The nightmare whipped around to face her. It loosed a roar and pounded the ground with his feet. Alice adjusted her weight, then pushed off into a run. The smell of grass and dirt snapped crisp against her senses. Her steps thudded against the ground, mirroring the pounding of her heart, a storm in her chest. She darted across the meadow, coming around the monster's flank. It stood out against the black, her vision sharpening. Before the nightmare could turn to take her head on, she jumped. 
Aim for the core, Addison's voice reached her above the scream of wind in her ears. The figment blades burned bright against the night. Their fire stampeded up her arms, filling her, fueling her, igniting something inside her that would never dim again. As she came down on the beast, she tightened her grip and threw her weight into the thrust. The monster roared. So did she. They collided. <laughs> so fantastic. Thank you. L.L. McKinney, I think you're... Thank you. A blade so black, I think your grandmother is saying, well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank you so much for Thank your time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this program. Please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast provider. If you're an emerging writer interested in receiving our open calls for submissions or invites to our events, please join our DD newsletter by emailing us at info at diasporadialogues.com with subscribe in the subject line. Thanks so much for listening.